So as you've heard, we're uh, preaching a sermon series during Lent called Lent in Plain Sight, where we find the sacred in ordinary objects, so far dust and bread and coins, and as you heard, shoes today, a lesson from the letter to the Ephesians, chapter 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of all God's power. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For our struggle is not against enemies of flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities, the cosmic powers of this present darkness and the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day. Fasten the belt of truth around your waist and put on the breastplate of righteousness. As shoes for your feet, put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. With all of these, take the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of God's word. Thanks be to God for God's holy word. Pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So there's actually some doubt about whether it was St. Paul himself who wrote this letter to the Ephesians, but just for fun, let's assume that the legendary epistolarian was the one who wrote this letter to the Ephesians, which some have called the Queen of the Epistles. There, Paul tells us that in a broken world, we do not contend with powers of flesh and blood, but with cosmic powers of this present darkness and spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Wow, that's lofty, scary, eccentric language for 21st century ears, isn't it? To us, Paul's description of this unseen world of powers and principalities and demons and devils might sound somewhere between quaint and obsolete. But let's give Paul his moment and assume that he's right about this extraterrestrial world that is above us, below us, and around us. If he's right, then we will need some extraterrestrial arsenal of weapons to confront these powers, right? And so Paul tells us to put on the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation and the shield of faith and the sword of God's word, God's whole armor. Now, remember, if it was St. Paul who wrote the letter to the Ephesians, he's writing it near the end of his life from a prison cell in Rome, where he is chained, literally, to a Roman centurion wearing the very objects he's just described. This guy's got a boxer's belt and a coat of mail and a crested helmet and a formidable shield and a bristling sword. So it's no accident that Paul, that this is the image that leaps to Paul's mind in his context. He also talks about putting on our feet shoes that will guide our feet into the way of peace. Now, Shoes aren't as important to St. Paul as they are to Carrie Bradshaw, but he still thinks they matter. Be vigilant, he wants to say, 
about where your feet carry you. And so this week, I have been thinking about shoes in Kiev and Moscow. Russian boots stampeding through the streets of Kiev, wreaking havoc on the innocent. Baby shoes littering independent square. Refugees and Nikes running west to the border. Vladimir Putin in his preternaturally puny size 7 Gucci's. But also, Polish boots running east to the border to welcome 3 million displaced persons. Be vigilant about where your shoes carry you. As of this morning, you have donated $3,700 to UNICEF in the name of Kenilworth Union Church for relief in Ukraine. $3,700. Now, among the many worthy agencies we could have selected for this purpose, um, why UNICEF, right? Well, there are two reasons for this. One is that this church has been supportive of UNICEF since before even Gil Bowen can remember. It's the only government agency that I know of has a stained glass window in our church. So that's one good reason for using UNICEF, but also because they are uniquely positioned to help in this place at this time. That great old saying, UNICEF has had boots on the ground in Ukraine for years and years and years. Boots where it matters, boots in the right place. Thank you. Be vigilant about where your shoes carry you. Until February 24, Anna was an actor in Kiev. She's 38 years old. Now she packs medical supplies for wounded soldiers and civilians. We need tourniquets, she says. She admits that she is afraid. She says, I fear what I cannot control. I fear what I cannot run away from. I fear fire raining down from the sky. I fear my home will be destroyed, but it has never once crossed my mind that I would ever leave. This is my home, and I'm staying. Be vigilant about where your shoes carry you. Until February 24, Alona was a professional makeup artist in Kiev. She practiced her craft for stage and screen and concert venues. Now she cares for the wounded. And when somebody asked her how a career in cosmetology prepared her for this brutal task, she said, I'm not afraid to touch faces and to touch eyes. I'm not afraid of wounds. I'm not afraid of blood. Alona is known for two things, her assault rifle and her Doc Martin boots, always unlaced, because, she says, war is no time to forget about style. Throughout Ukrainian history, she says, throughout Ukrainian history, it's been the men's task to defend the country. That's not fair. I want to help. Be vigilant about where your Doc Martens carry you. One last thing and then I'll quit. 
It's a story about Gerda Weissmann and Kurt Klein. I heard this story first at the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum in Washington. Not long after Kurt Klein's bar mitzvah in Waldorf, Germany, 1934, 1935, he's probably about 10, 10, 11 years old. Not long after this bar mitzvah, 1935, things were getting very bad for European Jews. And so Kurt starts learning English by reading about America. And then when he's about 16, his father sends him to the States. And he lands in Buffalo, New York with $10 in his pocket. And for the next several months, he supports himself by washing dishes and selling cigars, 16 years old. When he turns 18 in 1942, he enlists in the United States Army. He's a soldier now, so his boots carry him back to his birthplace in Europe to fight his old country for his new country. Meanwhile, June 1942, over in Bielsko, Poland, Gerda Weissmann is turning 18 years old. June 1942, the Weissmanns get a notice from the Nazis, pack up, you're not living in Bielsko any longer. Gerda's father says to Gerda, Gerda, where are your ski boots? She says, Dad, it's June. It's hot. I don't need my ski boots. Her father says, Gerda, where are your ski boots? Gerda never disobeys her father. For the next three years, Gerda works in work camps along the Polish-German border. She wears her ski boots every single day. In January of 1945, it's becoming clear that Germany is going to lose this war, and so the SS gets busy dismantling places like Auschwitz and Buchenwald because they don't want the Americans and the Russians who are coming in to know what they've been up to at Auschwitz and Buchenwald. So they start tearing these camps down and marching these women deeper into the interior of Germany, further from the Americans and the Russians. January 1945, the SS marches 2,000 women for 350 miles through the cold and the snow without food. Along the way, some starve, some are frozen, some are shot. By the end of April, the SS guards flee these women. They leave them alone at this abandoned Czech bicycle factory and get away from the Americans and the Russians. These women are left alone in this factory. Of the 2,000 women who went on that march beginning in January, then February, then March, then April of 1945, of 2,150 will survive, including Gerda, partly because of her ski boots. She says some of these women had nothing but sandals. I saw toes snap off like twigs. Now I know why my father insists that I wear those ski boots on a hot June day. So there are these women at this abandoned Czech bicycle factory. They stay late April, early May 1945 because they're too weak to move. They're living skeletons. And where are they going to go anyway? So there they are, 150 of them. On May 7, a strange car comes up the factory road, and Gerda notice there's a huge white star painted on the hood instead of a swastika. 
It's an American Jeep. And Lieutenant Kurt Klein climbs out of the Jeep and approaches these women outside the entrance to the, to the bicycle factory, and he said, does anybody here speak German or English? Gerda answers in German, and Lieutenant Klein says, may I meet the other ladies, please? And Gerda says, it was the first time in six years that anybody had called me a lady. She says, I am a Jew, you know. And Lieutenant Klein says, so am I. So she leads him to the entrance of the bicycle factory, and as she gets close to the door, Lieutenant Klein rushes ahead of her to open the door for her. And she will say lady, later, that was the moment I knew that kindness and dignity had returned to the earth because he opened the door for her. Nineteen forty-six, when Gerda recovers her strength, she marries Lieutenant Klein. She says he not only opened the door to that bicycle factory, he opened the door to my life and to my future. They were married for fifty-six years until Kurt Klein died in two thousand and two. Gerda is still with us. She lives in Phoenix. She will be ninety-eight in May. In 2011, President Obama awarded her the Presidential Medal of Freedom. He opened the door for her, and she knew that kindness and dignity had returned to the earth. So think about shoes today, ski boots and army boots. The ski boots which kept Gerda alive through all those terrible years, but also Lieutenant Klein's army boots, which took him back to... Here's an 18-year-old Jewish kid living safely in Buffalo, New York, but his shoes took him back to his birthplace where he helped win the war for freedom, dignity, and humanity. Be vigilant about where your shoes carry you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost.